Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Spectres, welcome back. This is your next briefing. Um, I'm just kidding. This isn't really a briefing. This is the Mass Effect Lorecast. I am your host, Tom, or Robots, and I am here, as usual, with... Uh, should, should I call it, Sam, should I call you Kung Fu Kangaroo? Should I call you uh, N7 we can, Legend? We can remind people. Yeah, I'm now going by N7 Legend for the purposes of this podcast, because <laughs> as I mentioned last week, uh, it was my gamertag slash online alias there for a while. Uh, just before Legendary Edition was announced. Yeah, so. dude, we should go with it because that's that's a great yeah. name. Um, so N7 Legend and I, robots, are here for another episode of the Mass Effect Lorecast. Uh, you guys seem to have been enjoying this a little bit because we have five new five-star reviews to, to read through, uh, and we'll be doing that at the end of the show. So stay tuned for those. If you're one of those people who, who left a review on Apple Podcasts, thank you very, very much. We'll be reading through your reviews at the end. We've got a bunch to get into today. We're talking about the Rachni. Rachni? Is that the proper pronunciation? Rachni? Rachni? Rachni. Rachni? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so the Rachni War, the uplifting of the Krogan. We're going to be getting into all of that stuff. We've got some really cool stuff in the middle of the episode. We had uh, some people share their shepherds with us. We got, we're going to call out one of those today. Um, all sorts of fun stuff to, to go over. So why don't we just get this started? Shoot some info at me. Like, throw, throw facts in my face. What do we got? <laughs> so last week we were talking about the first contact war and it kind of overlapped with the Rachni wars because the moral of the story last week was don't go around opening dormant mass relays. Yeah. And also <laughs> you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your friend's nose. That's like an old person joke at this point. But yeah, don't go opening mass effect relays without, you know, how would you know? I mean, I guess... It's closed for a reason, but how would you know that? How would you know? I'm sure there's some details written in the in the <laughs> lore somewhere there. Uh, I didn't happen to find any when I was researching this topic, but um, that is basically how the Rachni Wars start. So they start around, and this is the crazy part. I love this detail. We're mm-hmm. going to go crazy right out of the gates here. So around the year one, current era. One. <laughs> the year one. One. The Citadel Council team of Salarian Explorers opens a dormant mass relay to who knows where. Uh, they don't. <laughs> it's No one knows where it goes to, but they're trying to chart uncharted space. Which is and what you so do with uncharted space. Out, I mean, that's kind of the only thing you can do with uncharted space. Yeah. You chart it. And they're like, you know, they have the authority to do so. They've been deputized by the council. Um, so I guess no harm, no foul there. But and they are scientists. But it turns out that that mass relay leads to the Rachni's home system, which was previously unknown. And it's named Maskim Zul, I love which is Sumerian for evil fiend. Evil fiend. Uh, Sumer- ancient yeah. Sumerian. That's awesome. Yep. As if it couldn't be more, you know, creepy and foreboding. Uh, so, mm-hmm. and this is, again, the home system of the Rachni. And the Rachni, if you're unfamiliar, are a hive mind insect species. They're very aggressive and they run in colonies. And those colonies are controlled by queens. 
mm-hmm. uh, in deep underground tunnels. So that's primarily how the Rachni evolved in deep underground tunnels. And at the time that the Salarian exploratory team happens into Rachni, the Rachni solar system, the Rachni are a spaceflight species, but they're nowhere close to the technological advancement of the Citadel races. There's no faster than light travel. Mm. I mean, they are giant bugs. I mean, these are basically Starship Troopers bad guys, right? Yeah, basically. Basically. Uh, And it's important to remember that they're giant bugs, but they're highly intelligent. Very smart, very, very intelligent. Yeah. And very dangerous, too, and very aggressive. And um, so their homeworld, I think it, it, it becomes a little bit relevant later. Their homeworld is called Suin, and it's extremely inhospitable to almost all life because the planet itself is tidally locked. And what tidally locked means this. is that it's one, fa- one side faces the sun, its sun, sorry, its star at mm-hmm. all times, which is a wet, red dwarf star. And the other side faces away from the star at all times. Right. Our moon does this. Means, like a lot of people yes, don't, don't think about it this way, but our, that's why the, we are always seeing the same face of the moon is because the moon is tidally locked to Earth. And in fact, any scientific body that spends enough time uh, gravitationally rotating around any other body will eventually be given enough time that it doesn't crash into the thing or get flung off will eventually become tidally locked. So it's this is kind of a natural thing that occurs. And I've 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 pondered about this before. This is one of those things I talked with uh, my daughter about who I, I do the follow Lorecast with. And, and there was a time where she was dabbling in writing stories and things. And I was like, what if you did a story about a world that was tidally locked and one side of it was particular was always in sunlight and the other side of it was always in darkness. And how would animals evolve on a planet like that? Like, would there be different kinds of animals on separate sides of the planet that didn't even visit each other because they didn't want to go into the other side? You know, like, how does that even work? Um, so I love that this is a thing in Mass Effect because I find it a really, really interesting concept. And I love the amount of research that the writers poured into Mass Effect because you can tell that they conferred with astrophysicists and scientists and, you know, you name it a lot because they may, they got so many of the uh, like physics and, and, you know, ecology and, and uh, even geology, like those little itty bitty details that people might miss. They got them correct. But about Suin. Tightly locked, one side faces the sun at all times, one side faces away. So one side is scorching and the other side is frozen and barren. And almost and both sides are nigh inhospitable to all life. Yeah. So that's why the Ragni evolve underground, and they evolve in this area of the world called the Eternal Twilight Zone. And it's because that's the only habitable uh range yeah it's like the the place where the place where it's constantly like the sun is just at the horizon or just below the horizon so you have a little bit of light all the time yeah yeah and they they forage underground uh thanks to the homeworld's subterranean rivers too so that's that was a cool detail that i learned that their homeworld has subterranean rivers and you actually go visit the homeworld in mass effect 3 it's where you speak with the rachni queen uh but we'll get into a little bit more of that later because the salarian explorers who happen upon this uh their their solar system they're promptly captured and their ships 
are reverse engineered from Element Ezo research that the Rachni did on Kash Shaptu, which was not their homeworld. So <laughs> Kash Shaptu. Kash Shaptu. Such a weird and name. It, it, there's there, and for, for all of you listening, there's Kash Shaptu is spelled with two iterations of SH. So, yeah. so yeah. that's why I I'm enunciating uh-huh. that uh, with with some with some emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> you can't just say Kash Shaptu because it's Kash Shaptu all squished together. I've never seen a word like this. Right? K A S H S H A P T U. Kash Shaptu. Kash, you have to take a breath. I wonder in the if it's Sumerian. I, I do Maybe. because you know the it name sounds, of the uh, yeah. solar system is. It so sounds kind of foreign. One, I'm going to search this while you talk. This is supposed and to be like a no-no thing to do while you're doing a podcast, is to Google things while you're talking. I, I don't know because it breaks the pace of the show or it shows that you were unprepared. But I didn't think while reading through the show notes. Oh, I should Google this phrase. But now I thought about it. So go on. If I find something interesting, I'll let you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, go right on ahead. And I I, I encourage it anyone is. listening. Holy crap. Uh, well, there we go. It is. It co- third, okay, so the first two links are Mass Effect stuff. The third one is a translation from Sumerian to English. You want to guess what it means? If you were to take a guess. Something just, bad. Yes. So, so it's, okay. Something bad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It has, it has kind of a negative connotation. Does it mean hell? No. It means witch. Or person who uses magic. Oh, that's there we go. That makes sense. Yeah, that's so. That's, that's pretty cool. Okay, and that makes sense, especially because the Rachni use they use the element ESO research that they conduct on that planet to reverse engineer the Salarian explorers' ships, and that's how the Rachni achieve FTL capability. Yeah. So now this is a huge uh-oh moment, right? <laughs> because you have a you have an extremely hostile, intelligent, powerful, and unknown hive mind species that has FTL access to Citadel space. That's no good. That's a, that's one of those like don't ever do this. <laughs> like right, yeah, if you were to make um, like an intern pest control, yeah, if you were to make like an intergalactic list of like these are all the things you should never do, that would be one of them. 100 percent um don't don't unleash highly intelligent aggressive insect species right. on your friends right 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 don't ever you know uh stand in front of a mass relay while it's shooting somebody through it maybe maybe that's another one i don't know what happens if you do that like, that would be like hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy tip number two yeah right right always bring a towel um there's, yep. i'm sure there's some other ones Listen to the elevator announcements. Yeah, right. Listen to the elevator announcements. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they get captured. The Rachni achieve FTL flight and the Citadel quickly tries to step in and, and the council tries to negotiate and the Rachni queen is unreachable. Please leave a message after the beep because she's underground and there are multiple queens, but all of them are unreachable. And all of the planets that they live on are hostile. <laughs> so it seems that war is just unavoidable at this point. Hmm. What do you think her message on her answering machine sounds like? Shrieking. <laughs> shrieking. <laughs> a lot of shrieking. It's horrible, horrible noises. Just Right. But they're the Rachni, so they would call it the sweet songs of their children or something like that. You know? <laughs> Please listen to the sweet songs of my people and leave a message. But what you actually hear is... <laughs> just like terrible 
<laughs> that's a that's the worst dial back tone I've ever heard. Yeah, right, right. So creepy. <laughs> and I've heard some bad ones. But so and there's another key detail about the Rachni. They are prolific breeders and they have strength in any condition, basically. So this means that in the ensuing series of conflicts, the Rachni easily overwhelm the Citadel Council uh, race's defenses. Now, here's where things get a little bit tricky. There's not much that's actually written in the lore about the battles themselves, about the series of battles. And part of that could be, you know, because it's the details have been lost to time, because we got to keep in mind this happened 2,100 years before the events of Mass Effect 1. Right. Um, but not much is written. But what we do know is that the Citadel was losing almost every battle to the Rachni. So what is the council then to do? Well, the Salarians have an idea. And this is what we're going to talk about in the second half of the show. But before we get to that, um, so here's a question. Do you think, based on your experience with the games, you've, you've played through these games a bunch, you know many of the characters, many of the races very intimately, and some more intimately than others because you can actually romance them. Um, but do you think that these this information was removed from history from for a reason like it was embarrassing like the council was ashamed at their inability to hold back the rachni that they somebody yeah, got rid of it i think it's entirely possible that the council wanted to uh censor their own history for any number of reasons one they could have been embarrassed by their military defeats i know the turians who are a council race would certainly be embarrassed by that they are an autocratic very prideful militaristic society they would not want that well known um the asari however might be embarrassed at the total failure of diplomacy they pride themselves on that. So that might be a stain on their reputation. And of course, the Salarians, that was a failure of intel on all fronts. And the Salarians do pride themselves on intel being their, their forte. Right. Uh, so intel, diplomacy, uh, combat, all of it yeah. was a total breakdown. And then when you get to the later stages of the, of the war and the things that the council is forced to do, to mitigate their losses and to slow the advance of the Rachni, um, the Asari really preach morality, but their actions and what they've condoned in holding back the Rachni would be at strong odds with that. Right, right. Yeah. So knowing the way that, I mean, I, I... No, you've probably looked into history. Uh, yeah. Um, Commander Burton in chat writes ancient Roman times, surreal. Like there, there are all sorts of wonderful connections to real world history and the way that these things play out, because that's oftentimes the way these kinds of things do play out. Um, and knowing that there are patterns in history and those kinds of things, it would make sense for the council to remove information that the other races could use against them to oust them from the council. Right. Like if they can point back to you guys don't need to be in charge because remember when you messed up back here and and, and look at all this evidence we have for all the terrible things that you did that were the wrong choices because of the, the Rachni war. And they could actually show evidence to say, like, you guys suck and this is why then they could oust them from the council. So it makes sense that they would want to remove that information, control of it. Like and just uh, just look, look at the 
look at our world and the where we're going. Our world is very much about information and control of information and who controls the information. Look at recent elections, the, the use of misinformation. The people who control the information are the people who will retain or get power. And in that situation, even though it's 2000 years ago in our time frame, for a lot of those races, like you mentioned on the previous episode, they're long living species. It's not as long ago for them. And it would make sense that they would want to control the information in order to maintain power. So I, I don't. And on top of that, they're a, they're an advanced technological civilization or civilizations that have the ability to, you know, faster than light travel and to you know, settle multiple planets or, or whatever. The idea that they would somehow just lose information because they didn't back it up, you know, like. That seems ridiculous, you know, like, wouldn't that be one of the basis for just, I don't know, the way your civilization functions is that you just make sure that you control information and then you're able to access it at all times. Why would it just disappear? It seems very suspicious. And I'm glad that you bring up the concept of time being different for the other races, because as I've stated before, the Asari's lifespans are around a thousand years. So even though this series of conflicts began 2,100 years before the events of Mass Effect 1, that's only two lifetimes for an Asari. So it would be roughly around, you know, discussing a war that happened in the United States around the 1840s, 1850s. Yeah, it's only two lifetimes of, of dif- distance? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so like if the yeah. average, the, uh, the average lifespan is 70 years, that would be like us talking about the Civil War, which is still echoing in the American in the way that we handle history today. So, yeah, that's that's not actually that long ago. So, yeah, no, man, yeah, man. Yeah. And and talk about disinformation. Like we've had disinformation campaigns in our own country about the events of the Civil War. And even just I mean, just look at the whole debate about statues, about Confederate leaders still being statues in specific locations and cities like that's still a thing. If we had different information or a lack of information about what actually happened during the Civil War, then that debate would be very different. There wouldn't be as much information to say, well, maybe we shouldn't be having these statues here or whatever. Either side, right? You would have less information, which means less of a a leverage to get the thing that you want. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. I think that this is this is one of those things that I think sometimes happens and people think, oh, that's just lazy writing. They just didn't want to give us all the details. Um, but no, this is the way history works. There are specific gaps of information. Look at the uh, look at the uh, you go back not even not even two lifetimes ago. Look at the Nazi regime and the burning of books. Like the control of information even before the internet age, it was well known that that was an important thing. You talk about Sumerians. You go back to Sumerians and Sumerians. The Sumerian leadership was conquering the lands around that area and the uh, their leaders were putting statues of their kings in these foreign cities in order to share the information of their kings being powerful and and writing the stories of their conquests in in the rock on these other cities so that people are reading these stories about how powerful this this you know, leader is so that they don't rebel. Like, like that's the, that's how much information is important in human history is that we've been using it for as long as you're longer than this happened to go more than 2000 years ago. And the Ragnai wars are kind of a precursor to a lot of 
morally questionable things that the council authorizes and that the council does. So, namely, one of them happens in in the topic that we're going to discuss in the second half of the show, which is the uplifting of the Krogan. Um, it could be possible that a lot of details are left out of the Rachni Wars because the uplifting of the Krogan is so intricately tied to it. And when you talk about the intri- the uplifting of the Krogan, you can't do that without discussing some of the actions, some of the very controversial actions of the Salarians and the STGs, Salarian yeah. Task Group. Right. All right. Well... I'm I'm ready to move on. We've got some really cool stuff in the middle of the show to to, to get to, and then we've got the, the second half of this, and we've got so much stuff. So why don't we move on to the middle of the show? We'll be right back. Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this station is mine. I like the sound of that. I love mixing these voices together to make them sound wacky. Um, so <laughs> we asked you last week to show us your shepherds and we got a number of responses on the discord and we have one to share today. This one is, uh, let's say, uh, and also writers. I, I need to make sure that you know that too. If you have a writer you'd like to share, you're welcome to share that as well. Um, so. This is the episode. This is the part of the show where we say, hey, share your shepherds. Tell us a little bit about them. And we were going to talk about on the show. We've got a picture here. I'm going to pull the picture up while you introduce our shepherd. So go ahead. Right on. Well, uh, today we are bringing to you Commander Jane Shepard, courtesy of Teacup. Uh, Teacup, if you're watching the stream, hello. Uh, And this is Commander Jane Shepard. She is an infiltrator. If you are unfamiliar with what the infiltrator class line is, it's it's very sniper and tech oriented, also with a little bit of uh, stealth in the later games. I believe that there's a cloaking ability you can get in Mass Effect 2 and 3 for the infiltrator class. But think more long range engagements, uh, disabling enemies before they can get up close. The background for Commander Jane Shepard is Earthborn. Uh, as the Earthborn, you are born as an orphan and you escape a life of poverty and crime on the streets by joining the Alliance. The psych profile for Commander Jane Ship- Shepard is psych, or is, I'm sorry, Soul Survivor. Soul Survivor means that Commander Jane Shepard was on a mission on a coos, and that mission went terribly wrong when a group of Thresher Maws devoured all 50 Marines that were with Commander Jane Shepard. She's the only one who made it out alive. Now, according to Teacup, Teacup Shepard is a, quote, no-nonsense go-getter. I like that. I I, I would love to see that in action. Uh, So, Teacup, if you want to send us some some gameplay clips, I'd love to see that. Yeah, and Teacup's Uh, in chat right now. Hey, hey, Teacup, this is is your Shepard. You're the first Shepard we get to share on the show. This is awesome. Um, some other little details here, uh, almost all the way Paragon, about, what is that, 80% Paragon? Almost all the way? Uh, this specific image shows level 37, uh, 407 health, um, full upgrades for pistols, tactical armor, electronics, decryption, and charm with some other intermediate upgrades for some other things along the way. So, very cool. And she's got she's got a very short-haired, attractive woman with a little scar on her uh, eyebrow. So cool stuff. Cool stuff. You want to go over just real quick, list out some of the key decisions that she made. Let's talk about what Commander Jane Shepard has done. Let's look at her resume, shall we? So, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) 
Up number one, Commander Jane Shepard freed the Rachni Queen in Mass Effect 3. We will be talking about that oh, a boy. little bit later. So I did want to highlight that first. Uh, Jane Shepard also saved Rex in Mass Effect 1. She sacrificed Ashley and instead saved Caden. Uh, on Vermeer and Mass Effect 1. She saved the Citadel Council in Mass Effect 1 and saved Malin's data on the Genophage cure for Mass Effect 2. She saved the entire Mass Effect 2 crew during the suicide mission. So good job nice there, Teacup. Work. No small feat. Nice work, Jane uh, Shepard. I didn't do that for sure. We'll get into my oh story no, about that uh, in the future. I, I lost one person, I think, but that person happened to be my love interest, which was a super bummer. It was a super, super duper bummer. We'll go into that in the future sometime. That happened to me as well, I think. <laughs> I think I lost Jack uh, and even before we landed. It was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Jane Shepard also, she chose to save the collector base at the end of Mass Effect 2, so she did not destroy it. Uh, so she actually sided with what the elusive man thought in saving the, the base there. And then she cured the Krogan of the Genophage in Mass Effect 3. She brokered peace between the Corians and Geth in Mass Effect 3. And she chose the destroy ending for Mass Effect 3. Mm. So that's my personal favorite. I like that. Uh, <laughs> not everyone will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but I do. Um, and she romanced Caden. All right. Nice. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Teacup. That's awesome. Um, yeah, she says in chat, I barely fought anyone with that high charm. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. So um, if you would, can be useful. Yeah, if you would like to share your shepherd with us, log on to the Robots Radio Discord and drop some details into our chat. There's a whole sorts of channels. You'll find the Mass Effect ones or you'll find the Mass Effect Lorecast one in there. Just look around. You'll find some stuff and you can find the robots radio discord chat just by searching it. It comes up real easy or you can click in the show notes. And also uh, during the middle of the show is our, is our time to thank you guys specifically for listening to the show and for being here and for helping to support the show by sharing the show with your friends and leaving ratings and reviews. And we've got five new reviews that we will go over right at the end of the show. So stay tuned for that. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about some Krogans. Here we go. Have you ever wondered how deep the Elder Scrolls lore rabbit hole goes? Have you got a grasp of the basics and want to find out more about the universe? Written in Uncertainty is here to help you. We'll be mixing in philosophy, theology, and whatever other theory is useful with Elder Scrolls texts to untangle some of the biggest questions in the series, like what are Dragon Breaks, how does Chim work, where did the Dwemer go, and more. Check us out at writteninuncertainty.com or find Written in Uncertainty on any podcatcher. Thanks for listening and catch you later in the gray maybe of Tamriel. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Spit it out, or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. <laughs> Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. <laughs> You're so dense, sir. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's see. We're, we're, we're talking about the Rachni. Now we're talking about the Krogans. And 
a solution? What's this about? So basically at this point, the Citadel Council is getting their butt handed to them at every battle, and they can't keep losing like this uh, to highly aggressive, intelligent uh, insects or else not much is going to be left. So their back is to a wall and they have to find a way out. The Salarians come up with an idea. So the Salarians look at the situation. They see the prolific breeding. They see the overpowered, unwavering Rachni uh, and the extremely hard to occupy homeworld of the Rachni. And they say, well, what if we groom the Krogans? <laughs> what if because we take another sentient species and use them as a weapon? Hmm. Right. And we can do it as a PR campaign and call it uplifting them out of the goodness of our hearts. Perfect. So how'd that work out? And actually, oh, let's, let's go into the details first. Why, why, why the Krogans? So they pick the Krogans because the Krogans are also prolific breeders <laughs> and because they are they're chosen for their hardy constitutions, their resilient anatomy. I don't know if you guys uh, remember this, but the Krogans can regenerate organs like on the battlefield. That's nuts. So they're like Wolverine. They have copies. Yeah, they have copies of each organ, too. Oh. I think they have multiple hearts. Uh, they have multiple uh, livers. I know that. Uh, so, yeah, they have a rapid reproduction rate, too. Yeah. And so all of these are reasons that they're chosen as the candidate for engineering into like super soldiers. Right, right. And and, and they, you know, like you said before, they uh, proliferate very quickly, just like the, the Rachni. It's like uh, kind of like bunnies, which is a good reference being that we're recording this on Easter. Hey, I never right. thought I'd be equivocating a bunny to a Krogan, but here we there are. There you go. They, they just lo lots of doing and making babies. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> there's a problem, though. There's a problem with the Krogan. And the problem is that Tuchanka is just a mess. And it is uh, it is messed up. And this is, you know, way before the effects of mass or the events of Mass Effect one. It is a mess. It is totally irradiated from nuclear winter brought on from the Krogan civil war that happened. There are toxins all over the place and there is a whole slew of natural predators that are just waiting to kill you. Mm -hmm. So Tuchanka isn't going to help foster, you know, some growth of some Krogan army. Um, so the Salarians uplift the Krogans by giving them some advanced technology and moving them somewhere else safer. They also institute something called the Shroud, which is an atmosphere in engineering uh, piece of technology, and it helps to de-radiate. De uh, is, that, is that the term? De-radiate sure. Tuchanka? Yeah, yeah. Remove radiation that's already there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it helps to clean Tuchanka's atmosphere up a little bit. Wow, that's the, amazing. The I didn't realize also... that the Twitch streamer Shroud was that instrumental in the events of mass effect i'm sure he didn't realize either but crickets, he crickets. he was instrumental in mass effect 3 as well um because the shroud is also the same method through which shepherd and morden can deploy the cure to the genophage so you know you live by the shroud you die by the shroud yeah thank you uh, thank you shroud like the poetic yeah <laughs> all right so so how does this work out uh, the krogan's Krogans now are now super soldiers. They've been moved to another location and they're like, basically the Turians are the ones who did this, right? The Turians. 
right? The Solarians. The Solarians. I'm sorry. The Solarians are are pointing at the at the these big bug guys, and they're like, "See those guys? Squish them." And they're like, "All right," and they go squish them. Is that is that how this works out? That was a good Krogan impression. I loved it. Uh, I'm a Krogan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, they're more or less, this will leave it to the Solarians to hatch a plan and then manipulate an entire species into doing their bidding. Um, right, right. But they're like, hey, go get them. And then they do. Uh, so that's pretty much how that works out. The plan works swimmingly. And according to the Mass Effect wiki, quote, within two generations, the rapidly breeding Krogan had the numbers not only to drive back the advancing Rachni, but the ability to endure harsh conditions of the Rachni worlds themselves, which Perfect. is something that n- no other race could do. Right. So the Krogan eventually conquer all the Rachni colonies and reclaim the Citadel Council worlds. And again, the details of those battles are sparse. But what we do know is that the Krogans uh, basically, you know, kick ass and take names and they the Rachni refuse to surrender. Yeah. And that presents a problem. All right. Because now we're in the Rachni's home system again. And the, and the Krogans have pushed all the way there. And the Rachni refuse to surrender. So the Krogans carry weapons of mass destruction underneath the ground of Suin, the Rachni homeworld. And the explosions are so powerful that they, they blow up the nests and the explosions are so powerful that sinkholes are created and they exist for like thousands of years they they still exist during the like events of mass effect one through three <laughs> right oh geez yeah because weapons of mass destruction are always the right answer yeah and so that's kind of mm. what i was talking about when i said that the citadel council might want to omit some details and kind of forget about this war because they uh exterminated an entire species yeah that's all of them i mean there's a word for that genocide and it's not necessarily a good word um yeah that could be a little bit of a stain on your uh uh, resume yeah i'd say it's pretty bad um but to put things in you know and i'm not saying that what they did was right um, but but what their thought was at the time because they could not negotiate or even communicate with the rachni at all uh they thought that they were like irredeemably hostile. So Mm -hmm. they were forced into that kind of scenario. And around 300, the year 300 of the current era, the Rachni are declared extinct by the council. And the council hails the Krogans as saviors of the galaxy. And they reward them with Rachni colonized worlds. And this type of narrative should sound really weird to someone who's only played Mass Effect 1. Because... In Mass Effect 1, you kind of get this sense that the, the Krogan are like second-class citizens. Yeah. That they're like looked down on and dirty and no one likes them and they're savages and they're brutal and they're not war heroes. But that is indeed how they're treated right after the events of the Rakai War. Yeah, yeah. That's a total bummer. I mean, yes, in some ways they probably saved a lot of lives. But at the same time, the solution to do it manipulated an entire species and destroyed another one. And is that really the best answer? Now, I I can also see, you know, being scared out of your minds that these giant bug monsters were going to come kill everybody and having to do something about it. But yeah, it's it's a rock and a hard place. And those make the best moral quandaries, right? Like if you didn't have 
if this was the only solution you had and you had to go with it, then maybe you go with it. But maybe you also actually respect the Krogans and, you know, have a uh, PR campaign that makes them highly acceptable and loved individuals and regular, you know, uh, maybe, maybe you you raise them to the status of being, you know, part of the council or, you know, like you don't treat them like subclass citizens at the same, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. And the treatment, the treatment comes post genophage. The treatment is, you know, the genophage is something that we will definitely cover in a future episode uh, because it's such an intricate topic. Um, but the genophage is kind of created post Rachni war as a way for the Salarians to be like, okay, well, we don't need you anymore. Mm. And why don't, you know, we don't want you to get too powerful now because right. then you're going to want representation and then you're going to want, you know, more than we're willing to give you, which is the sad truth of the matter. The, you know, the Salarians, the Turians, they, sorry, they were all threatened by the Krogan. And so they created this genophage as a way to sterilize nearly all of the Krogan population yeah. and it cuts off the prolific breeding rate by like 99.9%. And so it's such a rarity for any Krogan to survive childbirth uh, for the baby or the mother that wars then get fought over inside the Krogan worlds over females. And so it destabilizes the Krogan race from right. within. Right. And in, uh, do you think that was, hundred percent intentional or do you think that that was a side effect do you think it was the kind of thing where they were like well if we reduce the i mean they they procreate so quickly if we reduced it by like 80 90 percent they would then procreate at a rate that's similar to other races but they overdid it accidentally or do you think this was a well if we reduce this nearly 100 percent, it's going to destabilize their culture and they're, they're going to fall apart i think in order to tell the difference between those two you would have to care and I'm not you don't sure think they even that cared. the did. Yeah. right? Because yeah. the Salarian, you know, we can get into what is a person. Can an alien be a person? But the Salarians, I don't think, viewed the Krogan as people. Right, right. They, they viewed were them as a, tools. They were a lower species, the, the same way that we would view, you know, cattle, or yeah, or um, you know, some people would treat, say, like dogs. Uh, you know, like these, war horses. Yeah, these are war horses. These are dogs. They're not people. They don't get a seat at the council. They don't help us make decisions. Um, but we're going to use them for what we want. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting dilemma. Like once you get to like, we don't have the issue of living on a planet with multiple intelligent species. Like the closest things we get are things like dolphins and apes to humans or elephants you know like they're close but they don't actually have languages that we can really communicate well with you know what i'm saying like there's not that back and forth so we can't really invite them to the table because we can't really communicate if we were in a platform where we were among other alien races that we could communicate with and many of them were more highly intelligent than we are by an order of magnitude would we be able to be okay with this idea that we weren't invited to the table? And we've talked about this a little bit on the last episode, but what if you can communicate? Can you at least be at the kids' table? You know, can you just be at the, like, the concepts are beyond our understanding, but at least let us try to learn, you know, like, like how, how do you ramify that? Like, and is it wrong? 
Like if we were in, the, if, if human beings are in that situation, we make those kinds of decisions. We're destroying the planet regularly because we want the technology and the fuel to drive our cars and watch our TVs, you know, and there are species on this planet that are dying because of that. Yeah. If you were to caricature the conflict driven nature of humanity, I think you would get the Krogans. So I think that's kind of what they're meant to represent in a very allegorical way Mm -hmm. that they have destroyed their planet through a nuclear civil war. And I think that's a lot of people's worst fear of the ultimate fate of earth. Right. Um, and then, you know, the Krogan are very, you know, they're viewed as very aggressive, which humanity is viewed as after the first contact war. Uh, they are prolific breeders compared to the Asari. Humans are also prolific breeders because Asari live a thousand years, so they don't have children that often. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so a lot of these things are parallels. However, the difference is that 26 years after the first contact war, humanity's already tar- talking about getting a human specter and a human council person. Right. This let's let's remind people that this these Rachni wars, they they call them the Rachni wars for a reason. It's plural. It's wars. It's not one conflict. It's a series of conflicts and they're protracted and they're galaxy wide and it takes like 300 years. So this isn't just, you know, a, a two month debacle, like, like the relay three fourteen incident as the Turians call it. Uh-huh. Um, this right. is a very protracted, very long and very costly engagement. And the Krogans are just discarded after it. And so I think if you think of that before you go into the first game, you understand the chip on the shoulder that a lot of Krogans have. You understand why they're so angry and why they've resorted to merc work like Rex. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, like Rex has resorted to Rex. mercenary work. I love Rex. Why not? Yeah. Oh, dude, such a good character. I love Rex. Every time I talk to Rex, I was like, oh, man, this guy's great. Like, he's a big he's, guy. He's like one of the best. He's a, da, da, da. And I was like, Rex, come with me on this mixed mission. Okay. <laughs> like um yeah uh commander burton in chat says uh how would we see neander neanderthals i think is actually the pronunciation Neander everyone says neanderthal but it's i believe it's neanderthal um uh, and this is one of those concepts that's, that i also think is really interesting if you go back twenty thousand years there were something like three or maybe four intelligent humanoid species on the planet that we are now that we are aware of um, or maybe it's 50,000 years. Uh, Neanderthals were 20,000 years. The Denisovians, the um, the race of the little people on uh, one of the islands. Um, there's a number of these different humanoid races that were active on the planet. Uh, many of us have Neanderthal DNA. Uh, Australopithecus. Yeah, Australopithecines, I think, is that it? Um, but many of us have Neanderthal DNA, which means that either willingly or unwillingly, we mated with them. It would be amazing. Like human beings, for the most part, have been human beings for a very, very long time. Our genes are not that different than, say, uh, human beings that were on the planet 50,000 years ago. Can you imagine sitting around a campfire with a bunch of people and there being a Neanderthal camp a mile down the road? And listening in on the conversations about what those people were talking about and how they viewed those other people down the road that just happened to be a little bit burlier, a little bit more, you know, stern looking, a little shorter. 
Um, but those people down the road had fire. They had art. They even had ceremonies. Just like we do. But they just look different. Like, I bet they didn't treat them very well. That'd be my guess. Um, but it's a really cool concept because that's the closest we can get to the sense of being around an, an intelligent alien species. Did they actually group up if if you were in a, and I love this concept. This is a concept that I, I threw around in my myth podcast, which I, I don't do anymore. But if you want to go listen to it, it's still up. But like, let's say you're part of a community of humans um, in this kind of world and you're out in the forest and you come across a Neanderthal child whose parents were killed by like a bear or something and the child needs help. Do you take the child in and raise it like your own? Some people would. Some people wouldn't. But what what happens to that child if it's raised in a in a human culture? Does that Neanderthal child take on human traits? Does it learn our language? Does it then grow up thinking it's a person and just looks a little bit different and then marries and mates with another human and then now that that, that DNA is passed down like how does that work? What, what, how would this work in the, in the case of, say, aliens? If aliens, if we, if we were to come across another alien species that somehow their planet was seeded with the same DNA strands or whatever that seeded our planet and things evolved in a very similar way and they have an ape-like species that is somehow, like, congruent to ours, do, do we accept them? You know, what if it's not like that? I love these concepts. And... Um, yeah, and uh, Jessica Starr says, I'm certain that exact scenario probably played out many times, because if you think of the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have lived throughout history, those kinds of scenarios happen. What happens when one group takes over the other's camp? What do they do with the survivors? Do they keep them around? Do they enslave them? Do they murder them? Do they marry them? All of these things happen throughout history among different human groups, so why not humans and Denisovians or Neanderthals. I don't know. It's just alien matchmaking. Would it, would it happen? It happens in the game. You can have romantic stuff go between you and these other alien races. But then, okay, do you invite that person to be part of the leadership council of your tribe? How does that work? Did it happen? Maybe. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this stuff because this stuff is, is mind-blowing. And the fact that it happens probably in human history among species that evolved on our planet... And could happen again should we somehow realize that there's intelligence life out on the planet and we are able to interact with them? Like, what if we find a mass relay and all of a sudden we're plugged into the rest of the universe, just like in Mass Effect? How does that work? That would be amazing. Would we survive I that? Just, I think it goes to show that, you know, alien species, human species, no matter what, we're going to define ourselves by our differences to a certain extent at least as long as we remain individualistic. And as long as we do that, we're going to focus on the differences and we're going to let that separate us, yeah. uh, much like the Salarians did with the Krogans and pretty much every other race did with the Krogans. Um, speaking of romancing alien characters, however, uh, the Krogans are one race that you cannot romance throughout any of the Mass Effect games. Write your angry letters to Bioware. Is it... <laughs> Why is that? Because you're not necessarily sexually compatible with all of them, but you can be romantically compatible with a number of them, right? Like, did you just think that Krogans were not romantically compatible? You know, I'm not sure I want to go into the weeds there. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but I, like, that's, that's got to be a thing, though, right? Like, 
like we're dealing with some of the races are like evolved from reptiles and fish and you know things like that like we're not really you're yeah. not gonna have kids and maybe your parts don't even work together who knows but <laughs> and to be fair the asari you know uh are largely asexual um because despite their somewhat undeserved reputation as being promiscuous the asari when they reproduce it's through this like mind meld thing it's it's not actually what you would think yeah right even though they're humanoid right um right they they kind of like like if you ever saw avatar at the movie when mm -hmm. they connect their ponytails <laughs> it's kind of like that <laughs> the ponytail don't say that word oh my goodness ponytail um yeah there is that well i've i've got all these questions maybe you guys can shine some light on this we'd love to hear your thoughts on the discord or on the, the twitter account um why don't we get to our reviews we've got five reviews five people to thank very specifically for leaving us reviews you guys are amazing let's go through we're gonna go through chronologically the first one here is from kather knox kather is one of our patrons on the cyberpunk lorecast and Kather writes, finally here, five stars. This is the podcast I've been waiting for. Mass Effect was the game that introduced me into gaming. Can't wait to see where this lore cast goes in the future. I'm Kather, and this is my favorite podcast on the Citadel. <laughs> so I love that. I love that. Oh, and don't go anywhere because we've got final words on this concept we've been talking about right after these. Uh, the second one says, um, lore, lore, lore. This is from Effect of the Mass uh, from the United States who writes, great lore, great show hosts. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Then we have, and both of these are from the U.S., then we actually, all of these are from the U.S. Um, then we have Seth A993, who writes, Love Mass Effect, five stars. I really like the Mass Effect games, but at the, at the time, at the time, they, typo, at the time they came out, I didn't much care for sitting there and going through all the codex pages. I just wanted to fight the aliens threatening the galaxy. As I'm older and have more of an interest in the lore now, this podcast is perfect for that, and I can't wait for the Mass Effect remaster so I, too, can hopefully start diving into the codex myself yes i am on the same page as you uh then teacup who we talked about already wrote um great concise information i first listened to robots radio podcast recently with the elder scrolls lore cast tom does a great job thank you of presenting a large world with complicated lore in a concise way that is accessible to all and the same is true for this podcast listening to this podcast has enhanced my understanding of the mass effect world and has increased my enjoyment of the series so much that i may even consider giving andromeda another try oh there you go all right you hear that? You hear that, uh, game design people out there? We're selling copies of your game. Um, or at least getting people to play them more. Uh, and then one more, we have Blixa the Cat, who writes, I love Mass Effect. I really enjoy this lore series. I am a huge Mass Effect fan, so when I heard there was a new lore series, I gave it a try. Two episodes in, and I'm hooked. I am looking forward to learning even more about the lore of the series before it comes out, and even before Ellie, the, the um, legendary edition comes out and eventually the new game and yay listen to it you won't be disappointed so thank you to all of you guys this is huge this is especially with the new podcast really 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 helps get us out there on the charts anybody else who wants to leave us a rating or review on apple Podcasts, all you need is an apple account or an itunes account and you're able to do that so um we would love the love the help so uh, so sam what's you've got some final thoughts on all of the stuff we talked about what do you think? I do. Um, we covered a lot of ground. So the Ragnar Wars, as I said, they lasted hundreds of years. They're very long, costly, and protracted. And kind of as a safeguard, the council leaves listening post X-19 just to monitor 
if the Rachni are going to come back, which, you know, they don't uh, because there's no sapient life detected for thousands of years there. So any service members who get an assignment at <laughs> listening post X-19, they're like, oh, uh, this is awful. This is like boring. And sending it to the wall. <laughs> yeah, I'll go to the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And so reference. I'd like to put a. I'd like to put a caveat on the whole, you know, no sapient life is detected part. Because for anyone who's played Mass Effect 3, spoiler alert, uh, the Rachni aren't dead. They're there. Uh, and there is still a Rachni queen. And so as that safeguard goes through, the council forms new laws. And one of those new laws is against reactivating dormant mass relays. As I mentioned earlier, that is the law by which the Turians derive their authority to fire at humanity starting the first contact war. Mm, right. Um, and just for, for like, you know, for perspective, this, these Rachni wars, they lasted longer than the United States has existed. Yeah. That's how you, long you they mentioned lasted. 300 years. Yeah. Like that's, that's, uh, I, I don't know if, of any, there's no continuing conflicts, active conflicts that come up to mind historically that last anywhere near that long that I'm aware of. Um, the only one that I looked up and I did, I was curious, yeah. uh, the historical uh, side of my brain was curious to see if there were any real life wars that lasted longer than that. And the Reconquista actually lasted longer than that, lasted about 781 years. The, those were Moors, or, uh, wars between the Moors and the Catholic Spanish Empire lasted about 781 years. And it stayed active that whole time? I don't believe so. I think yeah. it was a series of conflicts. Right. So, I, I, yeah, I guess it depends how you define it, define it, right? Like... Yeah, not one solid campaign. Right, right. Yeah, like something like World War II effectively lasted like four-ish years. Um, but that's because we were actively at war for four years. And then there was no more war so i have to wonder this is one of those things i don't know if you're a historian out there and you know uh if that other conflict was active for the, the entire time that would be amazing to find out um okay so uh any other final thoughts yeah so this all kind of begs the question if the rachni are so intelligent why were they so aggressive? Why did the Rachni, without provocation, wage this prolonged galactic war against people they just met? Um, right. And well, they're the intelligent. Queen, so, yeah, like, right. there must have been a reason. They're super, right. They're a rational species. Uh, even though we don't quite understand them, they're rational. And so if Shepard gives the Rachni queen the time of day, to speak to Shepard in Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 3. If Shepard spares the Ragni Queen, the Ragni Queen says to Shepard that the Queen doesn't know why the Ragni went to war. In fact, she only heard the sounds of, quote, oily shadows and a, quote, tone from space that hushed one voice after another and, mm. quote, forced the singers to resonate with its own sour yellow note. Sounds a lot like the Reapers to me. Sounds a lot like manipulation, um, like they were not acting under their own uh, choice. That's exactly what it sounds like. And yeah. it sounds like indoctrination, which, you know, we there's already ample evidence that the Reapers did that. And we know that the Reapers wanted to orchestrate the progression of how intel intelligent life interacted with each other so that they got to a predestined outcome. I think this could very well be 
one of the tools that the Reapers use to do it. Uh, there is a competing thought, however. Um, if you played the Leviathan DLC in Mass Effect 3, Dr. Garrett Bryson says that uh, the Doctor thinks it's actually because of Leviathan, not the Reapers. So the organic beings which created the Reapers yeah. might be trying to form an army of the Rachni. They were trying to form an army of the Rachni to take on the Reapers. That was Dr. Bryson's huh. point of view. Huh. As a, kind of like a counter to the Reapers. Mm-hmm. That, and that might we make... do know that the... Go ahead. Go ahead. I've got, I've got a thought here, but go we, ahead. We, we do know that the Leviathan can take control of people and indoctrinate them, similar to the Reapers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's a thought. If it's the Reapers who are trying to sow discord across the galaxy in order to make us easier to clean up later, and the Rachni were so successful at taking on whatever they took on because they were just this overwhelming force then they wouldn't have really been the best choice for the Reapers to use for this because had that actually worked, they would have taken over the galaxy and proliferated and been a much more difficult thing to take over than a bunch of feuding individual species, right? So if it was the Leviathan, then having a formidable, like the entire galaxy filled by an extremely formidable hostile force that could then fight against the Reapers would actually be the better solution. Unless, unless, <laughs> unless the Reapers also kind of influenced the Genophage and the uplifting of the Krogan. Oh, yeah, that's that true. was a very that's divisive true. topic. Yeah, which maybe they went too far. Distinct. And so they influenced yeah. the, the pivoting of it back, uh, a solution that created more division among the different races. You got the, yeah, that's, that could be a thing, too. Right. Because if, if, if you're trying to destabilize a region, you favor both sides. Right, right. You act like Palpatine and you raise an army of robots and an army of clones and then you have them fight each other. Did I bring up Star Wars last time? I don't think I did. Oh, you know what it was? I made a Jar Jar reference on the Fallout Lorecast and then everybody got mad at me and I was like, sorry. <laughs> and then we moved on. That was during the pre-show stuff. Anyway, um, I, I do so many shows. They all get mixed up in my head. So, <laughs> so very cool concepts. Again, I would love to hear some of our listeners thoughts on this stuff, because uh, like a lot of these things, there's just like, what's your take on it? What do you think? You could go either way. Well, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, Sam, what do we have coming next week? So I already hinted at it a little bit. What we have coming next week is we're going to be talking about the genophage and the Krogan rebellion that happens. Uh, so, you know, uh, that is a very deep, very divisive topic within the Mass Effect universe. Um, if you're wanting to learn more about how did the genophage come about, uh, how does it affect the Krogans, and how does every other race react to the genophage, then tune in next week because we're going to be diving into that pretty deep, and we're going to be diving into the Krogan reaction to it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I'm looking forward to that. Do you have anything else going on you want to share before we head out? Uh, yeah, so I have been streaming, albeit a little bit less frequently this past week, 
as I've said, I'm trying to coordinate a move to the West Coast, but I am going to be streaming more of Mass Effect 1. Uh, if you're interested, give me a follow on Twitch. Uh, that is still Kung Fu underscore Kangaroo. Still need to change that. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, give me a follow and uh, set up the notification because the next time I'm going to be streaming, it is going to be Mass Effect 1. We are going to be picking up where I left off with my shepherd, uh, Commander K. Shepherd, And uh, Samesh Bhatia is the current quest that we're doing. We're going to help him find out what's going on with his wife in Mass Effect 1. So Nice. Awesome. That sounds fun. Um, I've got uh, my regular shows happening. If it has Lorecast in the title, it's probably one of mine, unless it says Selectives. That's not mine. Um, But (laughs) Fallout, Elder Scrolls, Cyberpunk, Dungeons and Dragons, and then this one. Um, So if you are into any of those other games and you want some more lore, then go check those out. You can check out all the shows at robotsradio.net for my shows and everybody else on the network. And um, my big thing lately has been working with our Rocket Club shows. This is like a a group of shows inside the network in their own sub little group that I have been mentoring and we just hit our 10th rocket club show. These shows are awesome because they are creators who are looking for help with growing their shows, with creating their shows, help with marketing, content creation, all of the kinds of stuff that I've been focusing on for a number of years now. And it's so fun to help them grow their shows and they are doing an awesome job. A lot of them are even just a few weeks in and they're already you know, more than the average podcast listener or podcast gets for listeners and and the numbers that they're doing are are awesome. So if that's something you're interested in, if you're thinking about creating your own show and you want some guidance on that and some help and to be with a group of people all doing similar things and and working with that group, then check out the Robots Radio Rocket Club. So robotsradio.net slash rocket dash club is where you can go check that out. Um, I'd love to have you on board and to be working with you to help you launch your show. So that's what we've got going on. And thank you for tuning in Twitch chat. Thank you for being here. I love all the comments during, during the the show and all your different thoughts that you're sharing. And Sam, thank you for joining me again. We'll uh, have a good week, buddy. (laughs) Hope hope you guys have a good week. Um, And until next time, usually I just make this up on the fly, but Sam created this one. Uh, Try not to unleash super intelligent hostile insects on the rest of the galaxy. Because I would just, uh, that's, that's no good. It's on that list of things not to do. Don't do that one. Always have a towel. We'll talk to you guys next time. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play.